0: Welcome back to Compounding Happiness, a podcast that takes a genuine and sometimes difficult approach to exploring new ways of thinking, feeling, and acting. Everyone wants to experience more happiness in their life. Let's discover the answers through discussion and curiosity. I'm going to just hit record right now because... <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, dude, yeah, what, what if it did it? And I'm like, all right, man, thanks. Go to hit stop recording. And <laughs> I don't know. At that point, would I tell you, would I tell you if I'd accidentally never hit record? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and you're like, dude, when can I hear the podcast? Oh, it's, it's coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, that was like this woman, she like, she ended up doing like the, um the intro like two or three times. And then, and then, for some reason, I wasn't coming through. So she'd be like, "Oh, is he gonna talk?" I mean, while I was talking, and we did it again and again. (laughs) (laughs)
0: She's, she's like, "Mike, we're so stoked to have you." (laughs) That's exactly what I was like. She's like, "Oh my god!" Like.
1: dude that's that's hilarious (laughs) i (laughs) i know (laughs) and then um and then and then as we were doing the podcast like i'm thinking to myself oh my god like am i am i gonna cut out like in the middle of something like or i'm just gonna go with it yeah yeah (laughs)
0: Um, yeah. like what what do you guys have like a special signal before where she's like (laughs) (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah <laughs> exactly. Oh
1: god.
0: Oh that's awesome. That would be pretty uh, funny. Just so I know, like your your last name, it's pronounced is it Shao? Exactly. that you got it. Yeah. Yes. yeah Awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, here we have Mike Shock.
1: You're like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No. <laughs> Although it's funny how how many times like I've spent you know a good 30 seconds kind of like Telling the person how to pronounce it, and then when the intro comes, they
0: still get it like totally wrong. Okay, here's, here's the question: Do you ever do you ever correct them, or do you just no, go no, with I it? No. I'm just I'm just like, you know, like yeah, you just all good. Just be that pretentious ass where you're like, um, actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty good. Cool man. Well, let's let's go ahead and get started. Welcome back everyone to Compounding Happiness. I am here with my new and great friend already Mike Shaw. We've seriously been on the call for 10 minutes just laughing. I'd say probably 5 of those 10 minutes has just been like genuine pure laughter. Dude, I'm I'm so excited <laughs> to have you on and to hear your story and to share you with my audience. This I already know this is going to be a ton of fun. So thanks for being on here, man. Awesome, Jeremy. Yeah, no, really really uh, cool to be on the show with you. Awesome. So, guys, I actually discovered Mike only two weeks ago. I had never heard this guy. I reached out to someone, to a mutual friend, and they went, Jeremy, you need to reach out to Mike Shao. You need to read his book. I'm like, great. Another book. I have like 47 other books I'm supposed to read. Now you're just adding another one. And she went, no, no, no. Trust me. Like, put this at the top of your list. So, she sent me a PDF version of the book. And I opened it. And within the first two minutes, I shut my laptop. Instantly downloaded it onto my Kindle because I went, I need to be fully immersed in this. And I was getting distracted on my laptop. And what followed was a story of a man with this crew of, it was almost a movie cast worthy crew of musicians and artists and photographers and just kind of a band of misfits. And I say that in the most respectful way, venturing into the Himalayas, going into Nepal to climb an unnamed mountain. And what follows is this story of love and connection and unity and purpose and passion and just so much more than just getting outside and hiking a mountain. So, Mike, I, I would absolutely love, before we get too deep into the story, before anything, take us back to when you were when you were younger. Have you always had this love and this passion for the outdoors and nature and hiking? Or, and how did you see a picture of a mountain go, yeah, I want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, Jeremy, I got to say that was probably one of the best um, summaries of the book
1: I've ever heard. <laughs> awesome. <Sweet. laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was
0: like, I didn't actually read it. I just read the cliff notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, so that, thank you for that. I was like, wow, okay. that's, yeah. that's pretty fresh. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, no, so um, just to go back in in um, in terms of my connection with the mountains, I guess you could say that I've always been kind of in front of the mountains or kind of in that terrain because – my, uh, my parents, or specifically my father, when we were young, my sister and I, he would take us on these camping trips. First of all, we live on the West Coast of, of Canada, so surrounded by the mountains here. But he would take us on camping trips, um, you know, all throughout the States and the Rockies, the, you know, the coastal mountains, Yosemite, all of that um when I was only like six seven eight years old and and we had one of those campers you know with the pop the things you could pop up oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we'd, we'd go around and just camp in that thing for for weeks on end and and um yeah just kind of got familiar with the mountains I'd always loved being in the mountains being in nature and um and so it was yeah I was kind of drawn to it from a very young age and then and then as I got older, I remember uh, when I was 17, actually, I met this one guy and he he was a very experienced mountaineer. Mm. And, um, you know, we were out on a hike and he said, Mike, you know, I want to take you up to this mountain. And I thought, okay, like, um, I have no idea what that means, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I <did>.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and he, uh, so, yeah, so he lent me his crampons, his ice axe, his harness and, and, and off we went <clears throat> up this mountain. He took me up this, this pretty, um technical peak and and i remember as we were getting towards the top i was kind of um you know we were just sort of kicking our way up this very steep sort of icy snow slope and i just remember like kicking with my left foot kicking with my right foot plunging the ice axe and he, you know, he would call down, he's like, Mike, just whatever you do, like, don't fall. And if you do fall, like dig in with the ice axe. Good <laughs> <right> <laughs> advice, if you fall,
0: just dig in. <laughs> yeah, you know, all I could think of, I was like, don't fall. Yeah. yeah. And, You're like, There's and, a uh, second piece of advice that I'm supposed to do after. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as a, as a teenager, I guess you don't really think it through, right? Yeah. Uh, nope, <laughs> nope. <Yeah. laughs> and,
1: and so, and then I remember at one point I was like, I just stopped to catch my breath and, and just looked over my shoulder and the sun was just coming up, um, just rising, and there were all these orange and purplish hues coming up um, on the on the surrounding peaks. And I just remember thinking to myself that there is this whole world up here of you know of mountains that we have no idea even exists other than through our will to climb. And I was just in that moment, I was just like. This is it for me. This oh, is yeah. like mountaineering, mountain climbing. I, I just love it up here, and I, I just kind of dove into it with
0: intensity and never really looked back. Dude, that's so. I'm in Denver, Colorado, so I, oh. I love being around. Yeah, all of the mountains <laughs> and getting out hiking and everything. It's like, man, last last summer I moved out here, and my Sunday morning routine was I would just drive somewhere, leave my phone at home, drive somewhere, go for an awesome hike, go out to brunch. And just enjoy the day out in nature. Like there's something so magical about just getting outside. And as you said, seeing those views where you go, nope, people are missing out on this. People are, Yeah. how, how do you not live your life without wanting to experience some of these things? So okay. I, I wanted to, on in your book, A Story of Karma, you mentioned that initially when you met your wife, she wasn't this mountaineering fanatic. She wasn't as into this as you were. So how do you balance your relationships and maintaining close connection with people while also still pursuing your dream when the two uh, on appearance on paper are going totally opposite directions?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think, um, well, Chantelle, she did get into it. Uh, she loved hiking and that sort of thing. Um, but she had never, you know, had any experience in the high mountains or mountaineering. Um, but she, she kind of, she would see my pictures, right? When I'd come back and hear my stories and and, and so the she, pictures, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's all it takes. Like, look what I did. Like,
0: I want to do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all it. She's like, wow, Mike, you know, you're going into these weird, you know, these wild places. And, and, you know, she kind of, um, it kind of, you know, she didn't really like dive into it like I did, but, but it kind of piqued her interest. And, and, uh, and one day she kind of came to me and she said, you know, Mike, I, I really want to climb, um, Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Kilimanjaro. I mean, it's, it's not a technical mountain. It's more of a hike, but, um, but it's high, it's up there and you have to kind of know what you're doing with the altitude and all that. And so I said, okay, well, that's great. Let's do it. Um, but you know, we should train, right. We should train on smaller objectives. And so I, I got her into the mountaineering. <clears throat> um, she loves like these, these like long, slow snow slogs, up, uh, t- t- uh, typically up volcanoes. Um, so we'd go climb, you know, things like, you know, Mount hood and, and Mount yep. Baker and, um, and, uh, Mount Adams and things like that. And, And so, you know, she kind of got familiar with the terrain and she figured that like she's quite strong. So she um, she found that it was something that she really loved to do. She loved being outside. She loved the challenge of getting out there. Um, She loved um, the fact that it was kind of meditative for her Hmm. um, because she since she was very young, she'd been suffering from um, like these debilitating migraine attacks. And uh, and, you know, it took her a while to figure it out. But um, basically what it was, was it was a stress response. So the migraine was kind of like a fail safe, um, almost like shutting her nervous system down um, as a way to, to manage uh, her, her stress. And so, but we didn't know that at the time, but what she found was through through the mountaineering through getting out in nature and getting on these like long uh, climbs um, it was like this deep meditation that just sort of calmed her whole nervous system. So, you know, so we were able to kind of connect on that. And, and I think, yeah, to your point, I mean, it's i think it's important to really know what's important to you right you know what excites you and and what's um you know what do you value like what's important to you in your life and and no matter what happens like no matter what kind of curveballs life throws at you or or where you may end up um i think it's always important to make sure that that those top priorities or, the, or those those things of top importance are always part of you right <clears throat> so so every decision that i've made through life whether it's who i hang out with or or um, or my partner, you know Chantal, or or you know career-wise, I've always made sure that because mountaineering is so focal to who I am and such an important piece of who I am, um, I've made sure that that's like I would never sacrifice that. I would never sacrifice that
0: to be anywhere else. <clears throat> um, yeah, and so so I think that that's that's sort of a key point. Thank you for sharing that because it feels I know myself. I fall into this mentality of. Black and white. There's one or two choices, and you just essentially said, like, you you can have both. You don't have to have either your successful career or a flourishing, healthy relationship. And I've always thought that. Up until recently, I always went, okay, I either am going to be successful or have a happy marriage and be with my kids. And you're, it, I, I love that you just said, no, you can you can have both. Just find a way to attach and connect both of them. Like it just. Lock them in. Oh, <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I think, love yeah,
1: that. And particularly with partners and, and relationships, I think it's it's important because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like the person that you're with will fall in love with you because of who you are. And if the thing that you love to do, like for example, with me is mountains, like if mountains make me who I am, well, it just makes sense. <laughs> like Chantel wouldn't want me to, not to yeah. be in the mountains. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, yes. I would change as a person,
0: right? So yeah. So I think that's that's an important thing to remember as well. It definitely is. Okay. So take us, take us into your mindset. So you're out at dinner. If I recall, you're out at dinner with a friend Mm. and you see a picture of an unnamed mountain in the Himalayas in Nepal. And you, you immediately shift, you, you, you shift from that point on you transform into a different person. What Mm. happened when you saw that photo and why did it impact you so deeply?
1: yeah yeah no that's um yeah that was a very pivotal moment in my life like we we sat down with this guy this gentleman mick and he had been trekking in the nepal himalaya for over 20 years and i should remember that or i should uh, mention that um uh all throughout my childhood and my teenage years or basically as far back as i can remember um i've wanted to visit nepal i've wanted to go to Mm. climb and i'm not sure why or what you know i wasn't sure at that time what triggered that but it was just my dream to go there and climb and so but part of it was like I didn't know where I wanted to go in Nepal, right? And I knew that if I went there or when I would go there, I wanted to go somewhere off the beaten path. Like I didn't want to go where everyone else was going. Um, and so when we were talking with Mick, he, he, when we were sharing our kind of our love for Nepal and I was sharing with him my dream about going there and climbing there. And, uh, and he said, you know, I, I got to tell you about this place. I got to tell you about the lost valley of Narfu, and and then he kept walking. That, that but, sounds but, like straight
0: out of Indiana Jones or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you <know>? No, exactly. <laughs> like I think anyone would go to Lost Valley of narfu like, like, what, What's there? Is that like the Golden City? Like, <laughs> am I gonna have to like yeah, take a bag
1: of sand with me and do some maneuver? Yeah. or sort of
0: I know. you um, like, like, <laughs> have to switch it around. Do yeah. traps. <laughs>
1: Calling to that inner adventurer, (laughs) exactly. Well, yeah, because he kept he actually kept talking, and but I had totally tuned out by then. I'm like, you know, you have me at Lost Valley.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, dude, I I don't care where, I don't care what, when, how. There's a Lost Valley, I'm gonna find it. (laughs) I've already booked my flight ticket. (laughs) No, that's awesome. So, okay, so you hear about this valley.
1: Yeah, and so he said it had just been opened up. And prior to that, it had been totally closed off to the outside world. And this is back in 2011. Um, so he's showing us some of the pictures of the valley and there's two main villages in there and some of the pictures of the people. And I'm like, wow, this looks ba- This looks like, um, you know, these people have been living the same way for the last several hundred years, which they had been at that point. And, and so we're going through it. And uh, Chantal and I, we kind of came up with this idea. Well, because Mick, you know, our friend, he said, like, you know this valley is going to be experiencing some unprecedented change now that it's open. He had seen it before with different areas in Nepal. You know they get open and suddenly now they're plugged into the modern world and 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 so that you know the, the things change very quickly, yeah.
0: right? Do Do you mind if I interject real quick? Yeah. What do you mean when you say it's it's opened? You mean like uh, people are allowed to come tour or being more modernized? What What do you mean by it's open? exactly? Yeah, it's, it's kind of open for outsiders to come in. Um, okay, so so prior, previously you couldn't even. You couldn't wow. even go in. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay.
1: Um, so yeah. So that that's kind of and 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 the infrastructure at that time was um, was not that great. So most of the time, the people in these villages, I mean, because they're days away from the nearest road, right? So most of the time, they wouldn't even come out, right? So it's kind of like and they don't have electricity there at that time or or internet or or news you know news or anything like that. So so they're really, like, cut off from the outside <laughs> world at that
0: time, right? They're a lost uh, valley, yeah. <laughs> they're,
1: they're totally, yeah, totally out there and on their own, and, and survive, it's survival. Um, so anyway, so I was looking through this, and and Mick was telling us about that, that it's going to change. And so Chantal and I, we came up with this idea. We said, well, why not put a little team together? Uh, you know, you kind of alluded to it. <clears throat> and oh. we said, you know, let's get a team of artists together um, and try and sort of, you know, observe and learn from the people and also capture a moment in time um, before it changes too much, right? Through, through through different artistic lenses. And so we had this musician, we had like this um, this nature artist, we had a photographer, and then Chantal and I would do some filming. But but yeah, to your point, like it was a total
0: mashup. You know, we, <laughs> we, 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 we didn't know each other before. <laughs> well, see, yeah, when I was reading that, I, I couldn't help but laugh because it, it really did seem like a cast... Out of a movie where it's like, okay, there's no nature guide, there's no medic, there's no like the typical people you think. It's like, no, we have a musician, we have an artist, a photographer, and two people who love mountaineering who are going to do some film work. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like the almost like the, the the appearance of everyone too and
1: like their personalities because. You know the the musician. He was like this hippie, this neo hippie with like a blonde haired bandana. You know, he'd wear a purple bandana oh, wow. with a hair yeah. around, and a pointed goatee. And and then the, the nature artist. He was like this cowboy with this big handlebar mustache and a brown brimmed cowboy hat. <laughs> and then we'd have like this Polish pr- professor. <laughs>
0: so so you guys definitely didn't stick out. Like you guys would stick out in North America, let alone in Nepal. (laughs) It's
1: like one of those scenes out of a movie when you see people walk in slow motion down the street. Everyone just turns and looks. (laughs) What? (laughs) But the funny thing was when we got to Kathmandu, because it's such this wide spectrum of light and sound and color and. And everything, um, we actually didn't stand out in Kathmandu. We we actually fit right in. <laughs> so, Perfect. <laughs> yeah, so so no so that was that was pretty cool. But um but yeah then I so back in this in this uh, restaurant um yeah so I came across this picture of this pyramid mountain. It was all like like a white pyramid. It looked like um, coming out of the earth and and I thought. I I don't know if I even consciously made a decision. I'm like, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to try and climb. And I I talked to Mick. I said, you know, hey, is there, does this mountain have a name? You know, has it been climbed before? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know if it has a name. I don't know if it's been climbed. Um, And we didn't even know, you know, he didn't, couldn't even tell me exactly where it was. Um, So I'm like, okay. But if there's one thing I'm sure of. I will find this mountain, and I'm going to try and climb it. So um, yeah, so that was kind of the the intention that we went off uh, into the into the Himalaya with. Dude,
0: I I love that that you that it it was an intention rather than a goal. I guess mm. the intention was to go to climb this mountain, but you didn't know where it was, what it was called, if it was even physically possible to climb it, or if anyone else had. But you trusted your gut. And you went no, I something about this is calling me to this mountain I, I need to I need to get there so take us so you arrive yep. and then what is that like as someone I, I've traveled internationally only to to Europe so Italy Germany things like that so still pretty similar to North America what was, was it just complete culture shock traveling from Canada to where you went. Sorry, what where did you initially uh, well, yeah, land? Yeah,
1: we, we landed. Well, we flew through Hong Kong, but we landed in, in Kathmandu, in the capital city of okay. Nepal. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. But it, you know, like Chantal and we traveled a fair bit, but I, I don't think that and this is again back in 2012. And I don't think anything really could have prepared us. I've heard there's other similar cities in um in India, for example. Um, but um, but Kathmandu, yeah, it's a wild place because it's it's just it's like everything, you have everything in one place and it hits you right out of the plane. Like there's no sort of transition into it. Um, but you have, you know, all the sights and the smells and the sounds and, you know, you've got, um, like the beauty, um, you know, you've got the beauty of the, the clothing that people wearing these very, like the women, for example, are wearing these very vibrant saris and, you know, all the colors. And, and then you'd have like monks chanting and, and like little bells in the street and, and then like all these spices and trinkets of, you know, whatever they're selling there. And, and, um, and then the temples and the architecture, the fine detail, um, you know, just, just so, so much beauty. Um, but then simultaneously, you've got, you know, Nepal is the third poorest uh, nation in Asia and, and the most polluted um, by air pollution in the world. So you, you can see that, you know, very stark as well. Yeah. So you, You've got, you know, people like the sick and the dying who are like right there on the street. You know, there's people with leprosy and. And um, and and just you know we went to this one temple Pashupatinath and where they just they basically burn the bodies on on pyres wow. and um, and and so you get there and they're like shoveling the ashes into this river um, with any trinkets that the people are burnt with um, and then you've got you know little girls with their pant legs rolled up and bare feet you know wading through the river trying to like find any trinkets that were burned with the bodies. And, wow. um, and, and you've got, you know, some guy defecating in the, in the river upstream and, you know, family having a picnic downstream. And it's like, Oh my God. Like, and then people, you know, again, like poor and, and, and dying sort of right there in front of you. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, but combined with all the beauty, it's like, you have almost like every emotion going through you at the same time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. How, how do you, handle that. You know, if someone's a super empathetic person and I, in your book, I think you mentioned your wife, she's, she's an empath and she, Mm. she struggled a bit with the dichotomy of, you know, seeing this prosperous touristy spices and colors and life and vibrancy, peace, Mm. meditation. And then you look five feet to the right and you see people fishing trinkets out of a river From dead bodies. How how do you balance all of those emotions at once? Did you try to fixate on one? Did you try to fixate on the bad or the good? How did you balance that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah, I think for Chantal, she was just overwhelmed
0: emotionally. Like she just kind of she actually just broke down in tears because it was just (laughs) (laughs) that's what I would do. I wouldn't know how to process. I just go. This is the best and worst thing I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny because you know going back to that that day and that you know when we first arrived, like. Because later on, we would go back, you know, we went back to Nepal many times after that. And, you know, we kind of became adapted to it. But um, but that first time, um, yeah, I mean, it's just that I think it kind of enabled me or empowered me, you know, to accept. Um, because really, that's what life is, right? I mean, life is all of that. We in in kind of the North America, we like to sort of hide a lot of it, right? <clears throat> like we don't kind of put it front and center. But but at the same time, you know, that's... we that's what light, that's what the world is. The world is this sort of this, um, you know, melting pot of all of these things coming together. Yeah. And, uh, and to kind of try and shy away from it or protect ourselves from seeing it is not really getting a full picture of what the world is. So I think, you know, having a very front and center, everything there at once, yeah, it was like an emotional overload. But at the same time, it was also like, wow, okay, this is, this is a new worldview of, um, of what the world is in a way. Yeah. Right.
0: So um, yeah. So it's kind of a, yeah, it was definitely an eye opener for me. I, I can imagine. So let's, let's jump ahead a little bit. So you guys have been traveling, you've been hiking and it's difficult. Cause I want to talk about your story, but I also don't want to ruin it because I want people to get your book <laughs> because it's such a great book. So to, at one point you have someone on your in your group who you guys aren't sure if you're going to be able to continue on because they're, Mm -hmm. they're injured. They're physically, mentally just drained. And you're, you're at this point where you're having to balance speaking between a loved one and someone that you care about versus essentially your life's calling your life's purpose, something that you can't explain. But ever since you were a little kid and you had this fascination with Nepal, how, how did it feel to have to relinquish control of your dream and leave it up into someone else's hands? Yeah, no, that,
1: that was a tough one. I mean, I again at that point I had a lot of emotions going through me because we were just kind of getting into that part of the valley. We were just sort of at the very entrance of this lost valley. Um we'd been trekking at that point for almost a week and and um yeah. And you exactly guys were pretty early on, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we were, it was earlier, earlier on in, in Chantal. It was actually Chantal. She got hit with a full blown migraine attack. Like, and I was like, you know, and I've seen her go, I mean, I've never had a migraine, but I've, I've seen her go through it. And and I know that she just needs to rest and be in a sort of a dark room to get through it. And and we couldn't do that out there in the mountains. So I was like, oh, you know, what are we going to do here? Are we going to have to, you know, she said she might have to turn around and I was like, oh my god okay what does this mean for me what does this mean for the rest of the team we're just yeah. getting in like you said i mean we're getting to this place where i've dreamed to be yeah. like i was practically vibrating from the energy of
0: the place <laughs> here, here <laughs> you are like feeling the best you've ever been and your wife chantal is just you don't even know if she's going to be able to wake up the next morning and move 30 feet it's got to be yeah. tough man that's got to be really tough
1: yeah yeah i know it was like but i just kind of felt like i'm like okay i knew there was this one little settlement where we could rest. And I said, you know, let's get, let's stay there for a couple of days and just sort of see how she, how she does. Um, and so we were able to get there and she was actually able to heal herself. But, um, but yeah, no, it, before that I was just like, you know what, I just gotta, I just gotta let go. I just gotta let go of it. And I'm like, if this is as far as I make it into the Himalaya, Hey, this is much farther than I've made it ever before. And, um, and I just gotta be okay with that. So at the end of the day, I just kind of—it uh, was funny because there was this one scene where that night um, before Chantal had made her decision, um, the, the guys they they had uh, they were just blaring out um, you know this uh, this song called "Lost Together" by this this kind of like country rock band Blue Rodeo, and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were in this like little settlement and. And, and, and I just, like, just to make yourself stand out a little bit more, you're like,
0: <laughs> blues, jazz, rock. Like, what yeah. that?
1: Yeah, well, it was funny because I was like, I was kind of strolling under, like, this is this gorgeous starlit sky, right? Out in the mountains. Oh, I, I, can, I, I can't even imagine. I was going to say I can,
0: but I can't.
1: <laughs> it was like, it was almost like a painting. Like you could see the Milky Way and kind of like the purplish view of the, of the galaxy wow. and the, you know all the planets pulsating and stuff but like I was out there just sort of like strolling under the night sky and I'm like okay this might be this might be it for me this might be so I was taking that in and um and then this song starts going off <laughs> like, <laughs> <these> guys. <laughs> and, I, and I go back into the tent and they're just like how and we're in this little settlement where you know the locals are staying um but I'm like guys like this this, this song is like you know, you can hear it. You know,
0: like <laughs> ten kilometers away. And, uh, like, and, uh, and you are the most inner reflective state of, <laughs> "Hey, I'm about to potentially miss out on my life's calling." And they're,
1: yeah, Another
0: dichotomy.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this one woman, this one villager, she came into the tent, and it was like, I don't know, what time it was? Maybe like ten o'clock at night or something. And, uh, and I thought she was going to like complain or tell us to like, keep it down. And she, she was, you know, again, like full mountain woman, uh, just like totally, I don't know if when was the last time she even saw somebody from the outside, you know, outside of the Valley, let alone, you know, heard music like that. (laughs) Um, So she, she came came in the tent. I'm like, Oh, you know, are we going to be in trouble here? And. And, um, but she just kind of like sat down and she's like, hmm, you know, can like almost like gesturing, can you keep playing?
0: <laughs> and, uh, like, okay, let's keep. <laughs> I can tell you what, as an American, I would have been like, hey, put <laughs> it down, try yeah, yeah. to sleep. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But she was kind of like, oh, this is
1: kind of cool. Like, uh, you know, she was almost like enjoying that, that, you know, that, that kind of bridge into, into oh, our world, right? Definitely, um, definitely. But, but one of the lyrics of the song was, you know, if we're lost, then we're all lost together. And we were just like, like howling that out. And I thought, you know what? That's true. Like, no matter what happens, we're here. I might be lost, but you know what? We're lost. We're here together. And and that's what what matters right now. No, that's that's
0: awesome, man. Um it, it reminds me so one of my favorite one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite people from Kyle Cease is you can measure what you lose, but you can't measure what you'll gain. And mm-hmm. so in that moment it sounds like you so clearly could measure what you lose, i.e. not climbing this mountain that you set out to do, but the, the memories, the fun, the experiences, the relationships that you would Mm. gain with your team, you, you had no clue how much that was going to foster and all of the things that were about to come your way. So, so take (laughs) us into kind of the, the middle of the story where Chantal, she's healthy enough. You guys decide to keep traveling. You decide to, okay, let's, let's move forward. And then you end up stopping in this, this little village, and tell me and tell my audience how much your life changed in such a short span from just being immersed in this culture.
1: Yeah, so we, um, well, there's the, there the two villages, Fu and Nar. And Fu is like the most remote outpost. Um, and I'll just mention, like, again, I won't give too much away here, but um, basically the mountain, I found the mountain. It was the most glorious thing I can ever tell you about but um but the dream of climbing was totally crushed before my eyes <sighs> and uh yeah a few things happened like we got caught in a snowstorm at 17000 feet and and the mule that was carrying my climbing gear ran off um on me and so anyway all these things kind of were unra- unraveling and uh and it kind of forced me to to hunker down in this little village and and there I was able to connect a lot with the people but I was also going through this identity crisis like you know mm-hmm. what does it mean if i can't even Attempt to climb the mountain, yes, um, because that's something that's almost attached itself to who I am over the years, and now it's being questioned or it's not, you know, it's kind of being blocked, so I could force it. But is there something greater here to learn from this experience, yeah? And um, and that's kind of what I was going through. I was almost going through like this Jekyll Hyde like conversation with myself, like, okay, what does it mean for part of my identity to be totally basically tossed out the window. Um and, to and just what's gonna have f- that
0: yeah, to just have that stripped away from you. You know, this is hmm. something that you couldn't explain. But this this was a major part of who you were and so many life choices had led up to this. And then to essentially be told by the universe, by nature, by God, whatever you want to attribute it to, like, sorry, Mike, you're not you're not going to be able to climb this right now. Yeah, this I, is not for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you get to this point where you're about to realize your dream and then, mm. nope, not right now. Ah, dude, I love that. Keep going.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and, and something else was happening at that time because we were connecting a lot with the locals. Um, and, and I had made friends with this one young man. He had just come back to his village he had left um, when he was 14 when he was 14 years old he had to travel all the way across Nepal all the way down into India just to get an education out because it, again in these villages they don't have outside education um, so that was his option to get it and um, and he had just come back to the village at that time he hadn't seen his family or his home in seven years and so and our paths just happened to cross at that time and so you know, him and I, we would, his name is Sonam Dorje, and, and Sonam Dorje and I, we would take these daily walks together. We'd end up, um, you know, just kind of walking through the labyrinth of his village, the, you know, the pathways and, and out up the hillsides. And, and he would teach me up, about, um, you know, Tibetan Buddhism and about, you know, his people and about sort of the plight of the village and how, you know, the, the challenge of survival out there was just so extreme. I mean, these people are are semi-nomadic, but they're dealing with, um, you know, again, their village is at 14,000 feet in elevation so it's very hard to live. It's very hard to grow anything um, The you know, infant mortality rate. The, the most kids are like, you know, two out of uh, five kids would die before the age, you know, before the, the age of five wow. uh, just of treatable diseases. Um, so things like that. And, and again, about the education and how, you know, how that was tough and, and how a lot of kids, by the time they're like five years old, six years old, they had to start working in the field. Um, and then a lot of girls at that time, by the time they're like 15, 16, they'd have to start getting married, having kids of their own. So that was just the reality of the of the village ways out in the mountains. And um, and so it got me thinking, like, maybe, maybe there's, like, why am I so stressed about climbing this mountain when there's just such more depth to, to what's happening here around me. Um, and so, um, so that's, I mean, it was still difficult processing and I didn't know, like, it felt like everything outside of me was guiding me in a different direction. Um, and I didn't know which direct like, I didn't know where it was guiding me, but I, I, I basically came to the conclusion that I just have to choose to trust in this unfolding of events around me and, and, and not to fight it, <clears throat> you know, just not to, not to worry about it, not to try and like, you know, feel anxiety about it, but just to, just to sort of trust and be with it, these unfolding, it almost felt like invisible doorways, just kind of opening yeah. in a new direction. And, and I didn't know again, where that was, or where that was leading, but I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with it.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, at that point, it would be pretty, pretty egotistical to try to assume a higher role than, nature you know that right yeah that for, for you to go and try to do something that every all of your external factors are saying no that mm. it would i can imagine it'd be tough though to your, your guts on you i want to hike this i want to hike this but all of your external factors saying you know no we're not doing this right now so i, w- I wanted to touch on real quick mm. so two two out of five kids don't make it to their fifth birthday mm. kids start working their five or six girls not even women yet are being married off 14 15 16 there's no access to electricity you have to travel outside of your village for anything you're you're remote how how would you describe their happiness level were they content were they ecstatic were they miserable what what is that way of life like
1: yeah no it, it's it's fascinating because um and I don't want to like you know kind of provide a blanket judgment on, on everybody there. But, um, but we, we, you know, we would spend time with them in their homes and cook together and dine together and things like that. And, and of course we developed this deep familial uh, relationship with this, this family, this whole family there, which we can get into um, who we got to know over the years. But, um, but I, I would say that, um, you know, there isn't, well, what, what I'll say is this, there isn't this sense of constantly looking forward. Right. So, you know, so you know how here in um, in the Western world or North America, we tend to, from a very young age, we're taught, okay, you have to think about your future, right? You have to get into a good school, and then you have to get a good job, and you have to get a house, and blah, blah, blah. And yep. then to do those things, you have to do all these things, right? You kind of have to, like, work backwards and, and plan it out. And there isn't that sense over there. I mean, they would... Interesting. Um, yeah they they would they're planning for the next harvest. They're like okay are we able are we going to be able to survive the winter? Are we going to be able to you know what about next week? They're they're almost like thinking about the next day yeah. or the next you know month or next week not they're not thinking about their entire life ahead of them. So I think that does something to the psyche and I realized um you know in spending time there just you know living again with the, with the locals um I just I stopped I stopped thinking about time. Like I stopped looking at my watch. I stopped thinking about the day I would start measuring the day by kind of the events of what was happening. Um, you know, cause they would have sort of the pattern of what they were doing each day. And, uh, and I would just kind of go with it, like not worrying about, you know, later on or not worrying about the next day or the next week, or just kind of absorbed into, into that rhythm or that vibration out there. And I think that has a big piece to it. Um, just not because, thinking about future expectations and being in this constant mindset of, oh, I got to do that. I got to be there. I got to meet that expectation. I think it does something to us deep down about, you know, I think it causes like this sort of embedded level of suffering about, you know, what if that expectation isn't met or what if I, what if life turns out differently or what does that mean? Right? Like um, if we have like this deeply rooted um, uh, idea of what our life should be, and then that gets shaken, you know, that causes suffering for us. Right. So, so I, I would just say they just don't have that. They have it hard in other ways, like surviving and that sort of thing. And no, you know, not the conveniences that we have here, but they don't have that psychological need to constantly think about whether they're meeting some sort of expectation about something.
0: Oh man. <clears throat> I, well, you were talking earlier about attaching your identity to something external that, you know, you lost part of yourself by not being able to climb a mountain. And these people, they they don't even really have the luxury of being able to question what is my purpose, what's my identity, what is this, because they, if they don't work, if they don't farm, if they don't take care of their community, they they die. They they aren't entertaining yeah. these big philosophical questions of who am I, what's my purpose? It's oh no, my purpose is to make it through this day, you know, gotta harvest, got a farm, got to provide for my family, have to do Hmm. all of these. And it's really interesting because on one hand, I feel so lucky that here in Northern America, we I I want for nothing. You know, even in my absolute lowest of lows, I had a roof over my head and I had food on the table. Even if it Hmm. was kind of a shitty roof and not my favorite food. I never knew the struggle of I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Because of that I also get to entertain these more philosophical yet also trivial questions of who who am I? What's my identity? What do I want? What do I want to do? So it's just, it's so interesting hearing mm-hmm. that the way of life over there is so totally different and they don't have the luxury of having those philosophical thoughts but on the flip side, they also aren't tortured of trying to figure out their purpose every single day. I know so many people, a lot of my audience, a lot, a lot of the people who listen and watch, they're younger. They're in their 20s like I am. And it's, yeah. what is my purpose? What do I do? What do I this? And we get just caught up in this storm of who we are. Yeah, <laughs> without yeah. ever actually realizing, no, we, you don't have a purpose. You are purpose. Just your existence is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You yeah. don't have to like
1: yeah. Sorry, what on think, a little I think, tangent there? But yeah, yeah, no, no. I know but I think that's exactly it. And and because with that also comes like this abundance of um infinite choice, right? Yep. Which whereas you know it's not like um up in the village, it's not like they can think about, Oh, should I be doing this or that? Or, you know, waking up every day and saying like, Oh, is this the right career for me? Or is this or that, you know, whereas here we're like, Oh my God, if I go down that choice, like, is that going to take away from this? <laughs> or, you know, it's like, it's almost like too much choice, you know, in a way. Yeah. And um, and again, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of benefits with choice. So I don't want to, you know, paint the wrong picture, but, um, but I think, you know, to your point, it's almost like, sometimes we just have to, uh, you know, just kind of be, in, in the moment and not worry about like, which way is the best way, but just be who we are and just kind of, um, you know, have the intention, have the direction for sure. Um, and at the same time, not get attached to the outcome as much. So just like kind of let go
0: of the outcome. Speaking of letting go of the outcome and something, you know, being present and something bigger than ourselves. And then after this, I I do want to touch on the, the amazing family that you met. Um, so earlier on in the book i remember thinking okay this guy's traveling to nepal why isn't he hiking mount everest you know Mm -hmm. what and and i loved your response because you were asked do you want to climb mount everest and you had such an amazing response in the book do you mind do you mind sharing one do you want to climb mount everest and two Mm -hmm. what's the reason behind it
1: yeah for sure i mean it was um it was something funny because i i when I was younger, my dream was to, I thought, you know, I was going to climb Mount Everest. And, um, and so I got to know this one Sherpa, one of our guides, our Sherpa guides, um, him and I, we would spend long, long days walking together. And, uh, and, and, you know, so he asked me one day, he's like, Hey, Mike, do you want to climb Mount Everest? And I, I thought about, it. I'm like, you know, at one time I did, but I no longer do because what was driving my decision to want to climb it before was, um, it was about ego, like it was very ego-driven. It was about like, okay, I want to climb this because it's the highest mountain in the world. And so, in a way, that was like this weird sense of okay, I'm up on this pedestal kind of thing. But
0: literally, you know, yeah, you're on the highest pedestal in the world. <laughs> earth, yeah.
1: so, so, but it's like, but when you boil it down, it's like, okay, why do I really want to climb it? And and I couldn't find a reason deep down in my heart to really want to climb it. I mean, for me, climbing a mountain, it's about the experience of climbing it. It's about, you know, being out there with the elements, um, you know, about being with the people I'm with, about trying to figure it out, right? About trying to figure out the way and and the route and all that. And uh, so oftentimes the climb starts much more, you know, much before when I'm even in the mountain. So, but whereas Everest, it's kind of become this sort of weird thing i mean you i'm sure you've seen the pictures where you've got hun- lineups of hundreds of people you know just waiting to climb a ladder um and they've got dangerous ice fall and seracs above them and you know so i'm like that's that's not really why i climb that's not why i go and get out in the mountains so if i don't enjoy being because I, I like getting away from you know i like being immersed in the nature i don't want to be around hundreds of people when i'm in the mountains so <laughs> yeah you know. yeah no it's like okay i'm
0: five feet away from so it's like yeah i, I imagine that would kind of take away from the experience of, oh, I'm in nature surrounded by hundreds of strangers that I'm clipped into. Yeah, exactly. I know everyone's exactly clipped on the same rope and and the Sherpas are the one who set
1: the lines. And it's like, well, that's, you know, not really the style of climbing that I like, Um, you know, and I don't want to judge the people that are doing that, but um, I'm just saying that's not for me. And and so, so that's kind of, yeah, the rationale that I came to. And, and I, I kind of, because I flipped the question back to him and I said, well, what do you think about Everest? You know, I thought, you know, him being in his land, in his backyard and it's this considered sacred, like a God, they call it, call it a goddess. And, and, um and his answer kind of surprised me. He said, you know, this is a very, this is a very, um you know, kind of uh, a huge accomplishment for anyone, any anyone of his people who can climb it. He's like, it's his goal to climb it. And, and it's like, you know, he, he, yeah, he's like, this is great for our people. This, this whole tourist, um, you know, this notion of of hundreds of people kind of coming there to climb it. And I thought, wow, okay, that's his answer kind of caught me off guard, because I wasn't expecting that. I thought, you know, they would Maybe they would. They don't want people. You know that many people. Yeah, there.
0: Kind of all these tourists coming in ruining our sacred land, our sacred home. He's like, no, this is great. Yeah, he's like <laughs> I'm able to provide there. for my family because of this. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, it's a huge
1: honor for for him, right? And I'm like, wow, okay, that's, that's, that's so cool. I love <laughs> that perspective. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's kind of what got what got me thinking too. It's like, okay, well, who am I to judge them, and who am I to even judge the people who are going there to climb it? And you know, so um, yeah, so it's just like again, it shows. It, it was almost like a little microcosm of, of what's happening in the world. Like there's yep. this, all these different views and perspectives and, and people, and there's no one right or wrong way. Right. And it's just kind of like, okay, we can, we can, the important thing I think is, is in, is in asking the questions right. And debating yeah. it and asking like, why am I really wanting to do this? Or why are people doing this? And, uh, and just sort of like getting through those layers. Cause I think that's, that's the important part of it. Not, not, you know, whether we do it or not, but just
0: the why behind it. The why. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And it's, it's so, it's disheartening how in 2021, especially in Western culture, if you disagree with someone, it's almost, you it's almost frowned upon to have a civilized conversation. It's like, I'm just, I'm curious. I want to know more about your way of living. I ran into this lady at the coffee shop that I usually go to and she's, you know, she has kind of all of the political cards stacked against her where she's, Mm -hmm. she's black She's lesbian. She's Buddhist, and she's she has a disability, mm-hmm. and pl- and a woman. So like all all five of those, like by if you watch the news, if you look at what everyone tells us, she should be the most hateful, spiteful, angry person ever. But I was able to sit down and have like a two hour conversation with her. She grew up in the ghetto in the hood, just everything, and to be able, I. I grew up in Northern Idaho. I'm a straight white male in his early twenties. I know nothing about that way of life. So being able to just sit with her and have an amazing conversation, it was, wow, this is so refreshing. Cause I'm such a curious person. I love to ask questions. I love getting to know people and in Western culture, it seems like that's lately anyway, it's been really frowned upon. So I love that you were able to have that experience of I just want to learn. I want to immerse myself in your culture, dude. That kudos to you for going in and with just humility and checking your well, ego at the door.
1: You know, I, I think that's. Um, I think you raise probably the greatest challenge of our time. Um, you know, there's there's so much judgment happening these days, yeah. right? And uh, and you know, some of it for good reason, but um, but judgment of others and also judgment of ourselves, right? And I think you know, there's like there's all these sensitivities that have emerged as a result and. And, it, you know, it's, it's good for exploration of, about why things are the way they are. But to your point, like, I think it's very important instead of jumping to a conclusion or to a mindset about something or someone, um, I think it's more important to ask the questions. Like, if I find myself judging something, instead of like labeling it, maybe I should ask more questions. Like, maybe I should just, you know, open myself to it and be like, okay, well, instead of just thinking that it's one way, why not just ask more questions about it? Uh, Try and understand it more. Maybe I'll never get that understanding from that perspective. Like this woman that you met, like, I, I will never know what it's like to be her, but no. what I can do is I can ask the question. I can sort of sit there with an open openness yeah. and, and, and not judge it. And, you know, and so I think that's the important thing is, um, and that's kind of what, what led to, um, to this relationship with this family in the mountains. Um, The most profound relationship of my life um, was with this, when we met this little girl in, in this mountain village out there who I would not have met had I tried to force the climb up the mountain. And, and that kind of, you know, this again was all back in 2012. So over the next nine years, it's pulled both Chantal and me, like our lives into this whole different trajectory and the lives of this family that we, that we've grown very, very close to. We've become family. Um, with them, and uh, it's been the most beautiful thing I can ever I could ever imagine. like the deepest human connection I have ever felt. Um, and, yes. and and it, and the reason why it arose was not because I tried to apply logic or my my own mind to the situation, but I was just there, just in total acceptance with total open heart. and, and, and all of us, all we did was have the courage all of us to listen to that language of the heart. And I think that's kind of what, if I can bring one message to the world right now, it's about tapping more into that deep language of the heart when we look at each other and ourselves. Um, And and that's, what's going to get us forward. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of what, what opened this whole, very profound connection. Let's, let's
0: dive into that. So you, you go into this new village now and you see school taking place. you you see this incredible teacher up there teaching all of these students but the teacher was seven years old teaching people students her own age tell tell us about that experience of meeting this beautiful little girl with this absolute love for education and knowledge and just growth yeah yeah no it was it was just a very very beautiful scene
1: um so she was up there the seven-year-old girl at the front of the class um, and you imagine these kids, they had pulled the benches out <clears throat> to be in the warmth and the light of the sun because there's, you know, it's very cold and dark. There's no electricity in the, in the little stone classroom there. So um, so at the head of the class, you have this little girl and, you know, imagine these 17 kids kind of, you know, clothes, like the sleeves unraveling, um, you know, very sunburnt to the point that many of them had blisters on their faces, um, you know, snot kind of dripping down their upper lips and, and um, yeah, just very rough right just from the mountain from the elements um but you know but beautiful and just had this radiance of of just um yeah just pure bright radiance emanating from them and this little girl was up there and we had seen kind of like hundreds of kids up until that point but there was something kind of different about her and something almost you know that i recognized about her in, in some weird way like not not physically recognized but like energetically recognized and so um so anyway, they, the kids, they caught sight of um, of the guitar that was slung over our, you know, our <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> Here comes the band of
0: misfits. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I didn't think about it at the time, but they are probably thinking like, is this what all outsiders
0: look right. like? That's what people do. Everyone just walking around with guitars and cameras and other Cowboy instruments. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, this is North America. Yeah, this, this is an accurate representation of the entire continent of North America." Everyone, <laughs> just, five people. Right. Well, for them, like that, they have very little. Very few other resources to base Western culture on, other other than that. It's kind of like, yeah, what are are those capsules they send out into
1: space? Like, okay, this is what the human race looks like. My people.
0: Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But
1: yeah, so we were we were there and 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 the kids, I mean, they they had never heard a guitar, let alone, you know, they'd never seen one guitar. And uh and we found the teacher, like the real teacher, he was kind of looming in the back, and, and he had been sent there from, he told us, he'd been sent there from um from his village, which was like very far away and almost like two weeks away to see his home and people and, and family. And so he kind of felt like he had been banished to the end of the earth in a way. Um, so not really a desire to be there. Um, but yeah, so the, so Michael, the, our musician, he went up there and, and started teaching the kids some music and, and they were getting into it and, and singing and dancing. And and then uh, and then I guess the teacher, he got motivated. He brought out this Nepali drum, like this traditional drum. And, and he kind of wanted the kids to dance in front of us one at a time. And he started with this little girl um, who was so confident in teaching these numbers, he told her to dance in front of us. Um, and, and you could see her, she was just kind of, and he was playing this drum. And you could see her, she was just kind of like almost totally petrified and like almost uh, <coughs> starting to internally cry. And, um, and so Chantal, she couldn't take it and she just kind of marched up there. Um, and started doing her best impression of this Nepali dance. Um, and she, I mean, she didn't really know how to do a traditional Nepali dance, but uh, uh, she key, was Keyword was <laughs> best
0: impression. <Yeah. laughs> It's like and go. You know, yeah, did it, but not maybe not well, but <laughs> yeah. a, a for effort. She would have gotten an A. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, she would have gotten an A in North America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's, her, here's her trophy. Um, but um yeah, no, so <laughs> that's a whole nother can of words. Yeah, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um but um but yeah, so but the little girl she forgot about everybody watching. And she was trying to copy Chantal's moves and Chantal's moves were all improvised. So, like, she, so, But, but she forgot about all of us And these two little, it was almost like these two spirits kind of moving and dancing in their own way in front of these massive, like 7,000 meter peaks and out there in this village. And I just thought it was like time kind of stood still for a moment. And,
0: yeah, and that how, was, how full was your heart in that moment? Like even I, I know this and just hearing you, like I'm, I'm getting emotional like I can just picture just like th- that's your whole world right there you know you have mm-hmm. your beautiful wife dancing with this beautiful girl surrounded by some of the most breathtaking sights ever like how oh. I can't even imagine how full you must have just felt in that moment
1: it was it was starting to yeah I mean that was when it started to really cause me to think like maybe this is the reason why I'm I'm here like, why this is the reason why I'm in the himalaya. and, um, and, yeah, I mean, I can go on like what happened after that, but, um, but I don't know if you want me to to keep going with the, yeah, do, do uh, share, yeah,
0: share as much as you're you're comfortable with,
1: Sure, yeah, yeah, no, cause what happened after that was, um, was the kids they found where we were staying, and uh, and this little girl and her friends, and she she, she just ran in um she ran in and just leaped into Chantal's arms um Chantal told me like it was the biggest heart-to-heart hug she'd ever received from a child and then this little girl she did she just turned to me and just like leaped into my arms <laughs> and, I was like, Whoa! and it nearly threw me back um you know not from the force of her her like physically but like just the force of the love that just came like just knocked me almost down. And, um, and I'll never forget like her little hands, it's like grabbing the back of my neck and, and I felt her heartbeat. And, and, and that was actually the moment where I, in that like half a second, where I thought this is the reason why I'm not climbing the mountain. Um, and then, you know, her friends came rushing in and, and they were asking us for chocolate and candy and that sort of thing, but well, we didn't have any, so we didn't give her, give them any, we couldn't. But, um but then the little girl, she came back and she didn't want any chocolate or candy but she just pulled out of her sweater, this laminate card with these little English words on it. And she just kind of motioned to Chantal um, can, you know, almost like, can you teach me these words? So that was kind of when Chantal and I, we asked ourselves the question, like, oh my goodness, this little girl, like materially, they have very little out there. Um, she doesn't want anything material. All she wants is to learn. And so we started asking the questions, like what's going to happen to her? Like, what are her choices? I knew some of you know the, the picture from Sanam Dorje, that young man, who told me about the difficulties of education. Um, and I knew about, you know, how girls had to work very hard in the fields from a very young age and also, uh, get married from a young age. And, and so we thought we should have a meeting with her, with her, with her family and just find out what the plan is and, and if there's something we can do together. Um, and so that's kind of what triggered it. We were able to have a meeting with her, her father was out with the Yaks, but, um, with her mother and, and in their home and, um, and basically um, came to the conclusion that well we learned from from the mom that the education for them is the biggest blessing that they could ever hope for and ask for, especially for their daughters. and, um, and so we said, okay, well, um, yeah, we'll 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 help. you know we can we can help with that. So we we kind of worked over again over the years um, with their parents to find the best solution for karma. Um, for her education, then eventually her younger sister Pemba as well. Um, and so that's kind of what what the rest of the book the, the book is basically about, you know, us getting to that point, the whole journey to the mountain and all that. But then, you know, all the years that followed as we um as we grow our lives together and as we yeah. grow our families together, and ask all these very complex questions that you know, we kind of talked or touched on a bit about what does it mean, you know, for um, these two little girls, Karma and her sister. Um, you know, to, to, to have more choice in the world without losing touch with their values, their cultural roots. And, um, and how do you, you know, sort of help work with their parents in a way that prepares them for the modern world when the modern world is encroaching in their village um, as we speak, but do it in a way where they retain control over who they are. They don't lose their identity, right. In the process. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, those are some of the questions that we that we get into as, as the story
0: goes, but yeah. Oh dude, I I just want to acknowledge I, I love your heart, I love your passion for, for for just adventure, for nature, for the these native people and just their, their love for life, man. Like I as I said, I've already read the book, but just hearing it again, I get I'm getting emotional because it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful story. And, you know, this is the second book I've read this year with the high emphasis on education and mm-hmm. what that means and just how, how I've taken that for granted in my life of, you know, I school, I, I always had access to school. I was forced to go even when I didn't want to, and then college, same thing. And just being able to use our phones to access anything, like the fact yeah. that there's people out there who would give up anything and everything to pursue a higher education, higher than a second grade level, a first grade level. Because if I recall correctly, that's that's about as high as the education gets in some of those more isolated villages and valleys is about a first grade education at best
1: totally yeah yeah no that's very true and and in some places not their village I don't know that it's that way there but uh, in other villages in the mountains like that it's even discouraged for girls to be educated wow um you know so they don't even think that girls should be so i'm just like yeah it just opens up um but their family was very like their father's actually he's a very wise man and um and even though he you know he didn't have the education but he's he knows the value of it right and so he um actually he said to me once that um he really appreciates this 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 relationship that we all have together this idea of of co-parenting because um well he said two things one was that he never wants his girls to forget where they're from and and forget their dharma their values um, their culture which i totally agree with Um, but then he said something else which really touched me which was you know he felt like he had kind of taken them as far as he could for this new world and he felt like that they can go farther and faster under, you know, with the help of, of Chantal and me. And I just thought, wow, that like, for a parent to say that um, it was just, you know, it was just,
0: yeah, it was it just really sort of moved me deeply. Yeah. that That's in my opinion, that's the epitome. That's the definition of selfless love right there is I, as I'm not a father, but I could imagine as a father having to entrust your, your beautiful babies and their future to essentially a stranger at that point. I mean, you guys have continued and have a great familiar familial relationship now, but at that point he was so willing if it meant that his, his daughters could have a better life, a better future like that, such, such a selfless act. And then on your, your part, yours and Chantel's part, a selfless act without, giving too much away, because again, I do want you all, go get this book, seriously. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's really good. So at one point, you have Karma and her little sister Pemba living with you. You're in Canada. She's there. What was that like? Because you don't have any kids of your own. What was it like to go from, okay, I'm, it's just myself, my wife, I have this job, I have my routines and then surprise you're doing dance recitals and school and music <laughs> and teaching English and everything. How, how much did your life change when you were, they were able to spend some time with you here in Canada?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was a massive, massive shift. Um, I mean, I should mention that, you know, this was, that was years later. Uh, first of all, we got them into a school in Kathmandu, which kind of cultivates their Buddhist traditional culture, but we went back to the village in 20 what year was at 2017 and had a meeting with the family because they hadn't been back to their village in, I think it was two years at that point. Um, and, and just had a conversation about their parents actually expressed interest for them to have a cultural and education exchange to to you know to see kind of where where we're from, right? And um and what life is like over here. And and so I thought, okay, that's you know, let's let's do it. Um outside I, I of the handlebar it. mustaches <laughs> and guitars. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, you don't have a handlebar mustache. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, there's, there's 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 hope. <laughs> Not everyone has these things yeah. <laughs> Secretly they were just like telling their daughters like, no, please go confirm that <laughs> the rest of them were like <laughs> Yeah, I think that's probably a worldwide
1: phenomenon like yeah. that's the way it's perceived. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, Who knew
0: that the common theme of this conversation was going to be handlebar mustaches? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. it's just like, I, I promise at <laughs> the beginning, it's a story of adventure and love <laughs> and unity and handlebar mustaches. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably what will attract people to it. Yep, yeah, that's true, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but, take us back. So you're meeting with yeah. the family because they had discussed yeah, the future of their two youngest daughters and their education.
1: Yeah, we thought, okay, well, let's let's have this because again, if we if we rewind back to um, the very first day we met in their village back in twenty twelve, the intention I had was just like, okay, how do we open up more choice for these girls, right? And if they want to be in the village, that's fine, but it should be on their own terms. Um, so and and so they should see kind of like what what Kathmandu is like and and what you know other places in the world are like uh, as well to be able to dream bigger. And so, um, so I knew it was going to take a small miracle to um, to get them student visas to come over. But we thought, you know what, let's let's just try it. And um, and and it did take a small miracle <laughs> and a lot of people. A lot, um, of, people, you know, a lot of
0: help. Yeah, a, lot of,
1: a, lot of, a lot of help. A lot of you know. I will say the goodwill of some people out there is just
0: um, mm. huge. You know, I just couldn't believe you know
1: who well, came I to think, the table.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you some credit here when you're when I think when you're pursuing something from a place of total selflessness and wanting to help these two beautiful little girls and pursue their education. I think life, karma, not, I mean, <laughs> not karma, girl, but like karma. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you pursue something with a servant mindset and gratitude and just trusting the universe, yeah, in my opinion, and my experiences, you're rewarded for that. It, it's yeah. just like this recognized vibrational energy that when you're pursuing something bigger than yourself, doors that never existed start opening for you. At least that's that's my belief. That, that's that, my opinion. That,
1: no, I think that actually that's a Buddhist. There's a Buddhist saying I learned um, through this process, which is exactly that. It says, you know, when something is, is, is pursued with pure selfless intention, um, all barriers fall away. Ooh, not to yeah. say that it becomes easy, easy, but it just it just means that all barriers, like it's not like you have to force it or feel like you're banging. It's it's almost like, you know, every time there was an obstacle uh, in terms of getting them, you know, the ability to come to Canada, um, it's almost like a, a little opening would happen. Like there was something that would just, yeah, there were all these barriers. And even to get karma, we didn't talk about it, but to get karma into the school in Kathmandu, because there were a whole bunch of barriers stacked even against that. and And the more we kind of, you know, came up against these barriers, there would always be like this little opening, like, Oh, okay. There's a little keyhole here we can go through. So, um, so it's been like that for, for the last nine years. It's um, so not to say that it's easy, but it's, it's just like the flow is there, right. It just, it's kind of, it wants to flow in that way. Um, so you still have to go at it, but, um, but at least it's, it's kind of, you know, helping you along. And, and so I think, um, yeah. So when they came to Canada, it's, it's, um, I mean, yeah, all of our minds just expanded hugely. Like Chantal and me, our minds, you know, just learning from them, um, learning what it was like to become parents overnight to a 14-year-old and a Um, 10-year-old. And just, you know, having them culturally, it was massive for them because they had never seen the ocean. They had never been to a place like this. They'd never you know, seeing this kind of gadgetry and and streetlights and, you know, things like that. So, um,
0: you know, just, which is uh, crazy to think (laughs) of, like, I can't imagine being 14 and then seeing a streetlight and going and being blown away by it. And then here they are just totally thrust and immersed into this world of just, I don't want to say noise, but just hyperactivity. What a change of pace for them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no for sure and 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 it was strange too because they they adapted like extremely well. I mean, they you know, even in our household like they weren't used to having a house, like, you know, their house is one room, right? Um so they weren't used to having like a bedroom and you know, different rooms and things like that. Um but um but they kind of they even like the way they looked at chores and things um like they over there they don't see chores as chores. They're they're part of the team, like they're part of the household, right? So so they immediately like started doing their own things, like laundry and and uh, and helped us out in the garden and, and things like that. So it wasn't like we you know had to tell them, oh, okay, you got to go do this and that. And no, they just wanted to take care of all their theirs. they part of the you know the household, right?
0: Wow! Uh, and- wow! So I think Americans, Canadians, Western culture in general, we could learn so much from that. Of like, oh. no, like you, this is just what you do. It's it doesn't have to be this. Arduous, gruesome task of oh, I have to clean my bathroom. Like, thank goodness you have a bathroom that you get to clean. Like exactly yeah, we could exactly. talk for another five hours of the lessons that I'm sure they've oh. taught you. And <laughs> oh, it just, it's just oh. crazy. I mean, I like I've got examples upon examples.
1: Like one time, um, I remember I was cooking dinner and um and and little Pemba, you know, she was 10, she came up to me and and she uh, she wanted to help me cook. And I said, I said, Pemba, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Like just you can go play or do some art, and do whatever you want to do. And she just looked at me with like, these big eyes. And she's like, why don't you want me to cook with
0: you? And I'm like, oh, you know what? Like Like almost taking it personally that you're not allowing
1: yeah. her to help. Exactly. And it was yeah. like, again, totally different perspective, right? Like for them, it's part, part of the whole family is about preparing the meal together, right? That's part of the experience. Not only eating together. But preparing um, it. Wow. Preparing it together. So I'm like, wow. You know, again, it just caught me. Or another time, um, we were kind of rushing around, and and you know how it is over here. And I said, you know, girls, we got to get our jackets and shoes on, and we're running late. And and again, you know, Pemba, she put her hand on my on my arm. She said, um, she said, Mike, you know, if we behaved like this in my village, everyone would think that we're sick. I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know what? You're right. Let's just stop, breathe, you know, take a second, <laughs> breathe. <laughs> yeah. we have, we have, we know,
0: we're we're going to ballet. What's the? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know,
1: it's like this madness over here. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, just like little things like that. So it was more in the details what was really mind blowing for me. Um, but just you know, good reminders. And, and again, you know, my my mind just expanded hugely, and and their minds expanded, and and we've just kind of yeah I mean it's opened their eyes and and they've they've now gone back to to their village or they had to go back to their village because of COVID now they're back at the school Mm -hmm. in Kathmandu Um, but the conversations that we're having um, when they were back in the village because actually in the meantime they were able to get the cell phone tower and all that so we could talk regularly but um, but they were looking at things back in the village with with new lenses right like You know, and asking the questions, you know, okay, why are things in the world the way they are, you know, here in the village versus Kathmandu versus Canada, you know, and and contrasting all their rich experiences that
0: they've had, right? Which Um, is why I think getting out of your own town, regardless of if it's a town of 200 or 2 million, getting out because you, you mentioned in the book the beauty of they were able to come and experience Western culture and technology and advancement, and then take that back with them and be able to mm. provide for, for their people, for their family, for their friends and go, guys, th- have you thought about it this way? And oh, being yes. able to learn from new experiences to then share with other people. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah.
1: And and I think that's yeah, you put it very beautifully because that's really what it's it's about, the sharing and and the and the but it comes that back down to that openness, right? Like I think we have to take the blinders off. You know, you could that going back to that woman that you met, I mean, you could have walked right past her, right? <clears throat> and not knowing a thing about her. Um, And how often do we do that? But to take the time to actually learn and and be open, I think is hugely important because, you know, one thing I've learned through this whole process is, um, you know, by taking the blinders off again, opening my heart, um, you know, leading with that openness. um, Not only has it allowed me to learn about others, but by learning about others, it's actually taught me a lot about myself. And and my own ability to make better decisions in in life and in in community in our community, so I think yeah to your point it's a very huge um, learning to um, to to kind of yeah to to experience different worldviews different perspectives yeah. um, be out there um, get out of our own blinders like get you know like like see where our blind spots are try and see where they are and and I think that's what we can do um, that's
0: probably the best thing we can do moving forward yeah stop we're, we're almost unintentionally intentionally blinding ourselves exactly Yeah, <laughs> we're not yeah. even giving our we're not even giving ourselves the opportunity to learn or to be open to new perspectives or ways of living or life or anything really it's yeah yeah it's sad it's yeah tough.
1: no it's just and there's so many different ways and different ideas and different perspectives out there i think it's it's important to um to try and tap into that as much as we can
0: i do too Okay, man, I have two two other things that I wanted to, to touch on and I want to be respectful of your time. I can't believe how quickly this has <laughs> gone by. I just looked at the time and went, holy cow, it's been over an hour. I don't know how long your podcasts
1: are. Hopefully people are still listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was like, what I didn't tell you before is, no, they're usually like three to five minutes and they see an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Totally. To be fair though, if we recorded the first three to five minutes of our conversation, there it was just laughing. There wouldn't have been yeah. anything to, to, well, actually, no, the first two minutes was pure silence. <laughs> so sure, pure that, Exactly. Ch- quite a, quite a switch <laughs> up there. So one, one part of the book that made me that made me laugh really hard, and this is going to be totally out of left field from what we've been discussing, is your first experience getting to college, getting to university, mm-hmm. and enrolling in a creative writing class. And you wrote the best essay, the best article you've ever written, and you are so proud of it. Tell us Tell us about that experience. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, uh, I, again, like going back to talking about dreams, like,
1: it was my dream to be a creative writer back in high school and and it was my best subject. And, you know, the prof or the teacher in high school would often uh, tell me to um, submit my work for publications and that sort of thing, which I didn't do, but at that time. um, But yeah, so I thought, you know, university, I'm going to become this creative writer. And I got my first assignment in university. It was this essay about writing about this place in the outdoors um, that has impacted you. I'm like, Oh my God, this is the assignment of my dreams. Um, what a chance it. to show off, right? You're like, oh, yeah. Let me pre-pat myself on the back here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I thought I wrote the best piece that I had ever written in my life, handed it in, got it back, and um, and the letter on the on the piece of paper was like so foreign to me, I didn't even know what it was at the beginning. <laughs> it was it was an F. <laughs> <laughs> I had failed my first assignment, not only my first assignment at university, but my first writing writing assignment, and that like that was basically the beginning of the end of my dream of taking creative writing at
0: university. <laughs> so, so then you you pivoted and went what the total opposite right? Got into yeah, <laughs> finance. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so you're like screw creative yeah. writing, I'm going to do yeah. math and data <laughs> stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know it's fascinating when because when you think about it um, or what I found at that time was, um, you know, it was totally, this is a totally different story, but, um, I had this little business that I started in high school, which started, you know, going nat- national nationwide national. And, um, and so it got me thinking, um, it got me talking to a lot of the people in the business faculty. And, uh, and what I found or what I discovered was, um, that they were actually the creative ones that, you know, the business people were the, like, they're like, here's your blank canvas. Um, create what you want to, you know, we're talking about entrepreneurship. We're talking about, you know, innovation. We're talking about changing the world. And um, whereas the creative writing program was about trying to shove me in this box. And I'm like, wow. Okay. I want to hang out with these people over here. And, um, and so that I pivoted, I mean, speaking about pivoting, right. I pivoted over to the business faculty. I, you know, I came back to writing um, in my early thirties when I wrote this book. Um, And it was my, it was always my dream to write and publish a book. Um, but it's weird how it came about, right? It wasn't the direct line again. It was this, um, you know, kind of, again, following what is opening for you, right? <laughs> you know, kind of going back to the mountain, um, you know, when I was in that village.
0: Just a, so, a zigzag. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's so crazy to me that you bring up the, the, the creativity that you found business people were more creative than the people in your creative writing class. Because I literally had a conversation with someone yesterday about how growing up I never considered myself a creative person because to me my definition of creativity was art music or like writing fantasy stories Mm -hmm. and I'm not skilled at art I still my drawing level still that of about a six-year-old because I was so bad at it like I'm never doing this again (laughs) 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 right just, just all of that and then I realized that there's a different level of creativity when it comes to business and problem solving and critical thinking and thinking outside of the box. And if the box is broken, just building a new, build a new box. I guess. Totally. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. the <laughs> fact that you bring that up just is pretty cool. So back back to the creative writing, um, mm. it it reminded me of two, two things. The first one was what I was planning on talking about, then the second was something else that just came out of nowhere. So the first was I, I had a very similar experience when I started high school. I went to a private school from kindergarten through eighth grade. And then my first year in public school was high school. And at the time, my parents, too, uh, they intended well, but I always they, they always told me I was super athletic, super smart, the funny one, the handsome one. Like I was essentially the best at everything they they had their mom and dad goggles on for sure <laughs> and could not see that like I'm, I'm kind of average in a lot of different areas like i'm really great at some things also really average at others hmm. and i i remember p.e freshman year i just remember going like dude i got this we're playing basketball and i i had grown up playing basketball i was like this is great but my version of basketball was playing horse with my dad at the at the park two minutes <laughs> from our house so like. Hey Jeremy, going for for a layup, and I just full speed go throw the ball up. I think that thing bounced so hard; off, it didn't even it didn't even go above the rim. You know that part right below? It just hit it and launched to the other side of the court. I went, okay, I guess I guess I'm pretty pretty average at something I thought I was great at. So that was a great a great wake up call for me. And then mm. the other funny story was in my. Oh, I think it was my senior capstone class at college. We had three writing assignments throughout the uh, the semester. There were other assignments, obviously, but I you could get up to 25 points. And if it was really, really, really good, you might get one or two points of extra credit because the teacher was a big fan of extra credit. And I went, this is awesome. And there was a super cute girl who sat next to me the entire class. And we ended up striking up just conversations here and there. And Every time we we had this silent competition, whereas, okay, who who got the better score on the paper? And every time I beat her by like one or two points. And (laughs) and then finally I went, I was like, okay, how about this? If I get 30 out of 25 on our next writing assignment, I get to take you out on a date this Friday. (laughs) But if I get anything below a 25 or you get higher than me, I'll buy you Starbucks for a month and I won't bother you. And she's like, deal, deal. Like the highest either of us had got was 25 out of 25. And so I went, okay, I'm going to trust my gut here. Embrace the creativity. So at the very end of this very serious paper, I do PS. I'm like, Debbie, here's the situation. That was my professor's name. Debbie, the super cute girl who sits next to me on my left. She agreed to go out with the date or she agreed to go out with me on a date. If I got 30 out of 25, please help. <laughs> so we get our papers back. We get, I have no clue where this story came from. So we get our papers back and she looks at it and she is beaming. And she's like, Oh, and she shows it 27 out of 30. And I'm going, Oh gosh, dang it. Like Starbucks. She's a 21 year old. She's going to get like a $9 drink for a month. I'm going broke. <laughs> and then I look at mine. Can I show it to her? Thirty out of twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So my my experience with creative writing was a little bit better than yours, but basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I would have used that on my first essay though. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. <laughs> well, I figured there's either one of those where they're gonna go the the on this guy, or they're or they're gonna laugh and be like, All right, no, that was pretty clever. And thankfully. <laughs> Yeah, here, here's, here's, an, here's an F just for asking. Yeah, I know, like I'm either getting 30 out of 25 or zero for trying to make a joke out of it. There was
1: no in between. Totally. Yeah. Are you are you guys still together? No, no.
0: We're oh, yeah. we uh, like, oh yeah, she's
1: right
0: here. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty funny, but Anyway, man, dude, this is... Yeah, Jeremy, this is awesome. Yeah. This has been so fun, man. Thank you mm. so much for being willing to hop on. And I, I've loved this conversation. Would love to Would love to do it again. In the meantime, where can we connect with you? Where should we go so we can get a copy of your book, so we can get, stay connected with you on Instagram, help support you in your next adventures in life? Where can we find
1: you? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so you can learn more about the book at my website, which is just um, michaelschau.com. So that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Schauch.com. com.
0: sweet i'll um, go ahead and link that in the show notes so you guys can okay click that
1: yep sweet um yeah and if you if you do want to find me on on instagram i'm on instagram um just at mike Shao. um so m-i-k-e and then same last name um yeah no but uh jeremy i really thank you for for being on the show and for what you're doing the, the work you're doing here is, is great so um, yeah, I appreciate
0: the, the ability or, you know, the opportunity for us to connect as well. Definitely. Um, yeah, no, it's been super fun. It's been super fun. Okay, man, very last question. And then I'm going to hit stop recording here. So with the podcast called Compounding Happiness, it makes sense that the last question would be, what would you, what do you do every single day to add happiness to your life? And what can we learn from that?
1: I, I, I laugh. I just yep. laugh. Yeah, it's got to be the deep belly laugh though Um, but yeah no honestly like just yeah you know it's funny there's so much goodness in the world there's so many awesome things that we have just right in front of us and um, and sometimes it's just about you know shifting the lens a little bit to tap into that and uh, if we can laugh about it too I mean that's uh, that's a bonus Definitely.
0: Dude, great answer. I love it. You've been fantastic. Guys, go get his book. And if money is an issue and you're like, I can't afford this, just DM me. I'll personally buy you a copy because it's that good. So again, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. And until next time, have a good one, everyone.